Growing up, I remember my immigrant parents working all the time. After work, they'd come home, make dinner, and go right back into their papers and laptops. Even on vacation, my dad'd be checking emails early in the morning before we went to Disneyland. Despite their busy schedule, my parents always made sure my sister and I had our meals taken care of, and dinner time was family time. It's no wonder that in my adult years, I appreciate thoughtful gestures and meals continue to be a time for bonding. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, a communication coach by day and a podcaster by night. I work to empower women with soft skills to achieve their personal and professional goals, whether they're looking to get that next promotion, start their own business, or are just looking to feel understood. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive in, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. Did you ever feel like you and your partner are speaking different languages? Well, it turns out you might not be far off. According to Gary Chapman's book, The Five Languages of Love, we all have our unique ways of giving and receiving love. Here are the five languages. First, we have words of affirmation. This means you love hearing sweet nothings, compliments, and positive reinforcement from your partner. Next, quality time, where you want to spend meaningful time with your boo. Put down the phone, turn off the TV, and give them your full attention. If receiving gifts is your thing, don't worry, it's not about the money, it's the thought that counts. Little gifts and surprises can really make your heart flutter. Acts of service means you show your love by doing things for your partner. Whether it's making dinner or doing the laundry, you want to make their life easier. Last but not least, physical touch. It's about hugs, kisses, snuggles, and holding hands. Nothing says I love you like a good cuddle sesh. And with that, let's dive in. I'm really excited about this episode today because this is the book that started me on my self-help journey. It's going to be a little bit different from the ones that I've recorded previously because there is no guest. I am the person who's here. The reason for that is because when I started this podcast, I thought someone would definitely choose this book and I would get to talk about it and we would have an amazing conversation. However, I've contacted 10 people and they've all come up with other books, which is fantastic in its own way because I get to see a different perspective from other people and I get to learn, I get to read more. Downside is I really want to talk about this book. So I'm giving myself the permission to pick up books that I really want to talk about and just talk about them on this podcast. The book today is The Five Languages of Love, and I, I think everyone has come across it in some way, not necessarily reading the book, but maybe you saw it on a Tinder profile where someone said that my love language is quality time. I think that it is in the popular consciousness, but there is a lot of misunderstanding that is not necessarily represented uh, in our day-to-day conversations. So this episode is going to be talking the misconceptions that there are, as well as my own journey with the book and how I've applied the learnings that I've made over the years. Before we dive into the book, I'd like to give you a bit of context about where I was. I came across this book around 2015, according to my Goodreads. During this time, I was in South Korea, I was there teaching English and I was in a relationship for about a year and a half. We were arguing a lot. 
And looking back on it, it was kind of embarrassing as in, I remember yelling, which I don't like to do and slamming doors and leaving the apartment in the middle of the night because I was upset and I expected him to chase after me. (laughs) I felt really upset. Maybe I watched one too many K-dramas. I was expecting him to catch my wrist, turn me around and confess to me about how much he loved and valued me. It did not happen. The worst part was probably the walk of shame back into the apartment after I'd stormed out. I would like sit out in a park for an hour and think to myself, like, I really should have brought a jacket. (laughs) So I came across this book. It was my second ever self-help book. But yeah, this is a book that took me on the journey of self-help. And it gave me a paradigm shift that helped me grow. So I've read this book many times at this point. I've also read the spinoffs, Five Languages of Love in the Workplace. The first time that I read it, I had been annoyed with my partner. Um, He had been wanting me to say I love you frequently. As a person who is from a Chinese background, I didn't necessarily feel comfortable doing that. I felt like I love yous should be felt strongly. Uh, What I mean by that is if I said I loved you, it meant it very strongly. Like I love you from the bottom of my heart, through my stomach. I feel sick not having you around. And when you live with a partner, you don't necessarily feel like that every single day and you don't necessarily feel like that every five minutes. And when my partner would say, I love you so frequently and so casually, it made me feel like the words diminished in value. And I didn't want my own words to be diminished. After reading the book, I started understanding why it was so important for him to hear I love you in the moments that he said I love you to me. For me, my love languages are acts of service and quality time. So when someone takes out the garbage or if someone is giving me their attention 100%, no distractions, I feel loved. And my understanding that hearing I love you, even if it is frequent, meant the same amount to me as the actions I'd mentioned previously did, then of course I would want to give that to my partner. So it definitely started opening me up to seeing actions in a different perspective. And this went beyond my romantic relationship. When I went home to visit my parents and they would ask me things like, have you eaten yet? Where are you going? When are you going to be back? I saw those things, those actions, those words as care rather than really annoying. (laughs) So yeah, that was the first time I read it. That is not the end of my journey with this book, though. A few years later, in a different country, in a different relationship, I started getting upset again. I was crying a lot in my relationship, and we were arguing. It really frustrated both me and my partner. My partner, because we spent 
all of our free time together. He was giving me physical affection. He made sure to do things like drive me places because I don't like driving. And I was frustrated with myself because I didn't know what was wrong. Rereading the book, I started to learn how to articulate what I want. This meant first tuning in to what I wanted and being brave enough to to say those things and to ask for help and to ask for love in the way that I needed to receive it. I've read this book twice. I've learned how to be more sensitive to other people's needs. I've learned how to articulate my own. Is that all you have to learn from this book? No. (laughs) So after this relationship, I moved to another country. I get into another relationship and it starts happening again. I'm upset. There are conversations. And at this point, I'm not yelling anymore. I'm not slamming doors. Thank goodness. Uh, instead, I'm making lists and talking about what my needs are. I'm laughing, but it is, it was a huge, arduous journey. It was so worth it. And I felt like I, had done a lot of work. Now this relationship should work out, right? No, I do think that this book has its limits and it's going to contradict what Dr. Chapman says in the book. In this relationship, it was a little bit different because my partner at the time had a lot of anxiety because of circumstances that we're not going to get into, but he would, he had a lot of anxiety about doing the right thing in the relationship. I thought, I am so prepared for this. I love lists. No problem. I made lists. I gave him suggestions. I tried to be patient. We had many conversations talking about each other's needs and each other's feelings. And I thought that just by understanding the other person's love language better, that would solve everything. It did not. I think that this book has its limitations in that if one partner is doing a lot that's great, but it does take two. If the other partner is not as committed or doesn't see it as serious, I don't think any amount of love in action is going to make that relationship last forever. And on that really happy note, let's dive into some of the concepts that I wanted to bring up. The first is something that I've already touched on a little bit, Dr. Chapman states that love is a choice. It should be something given freely, not out of fear, coercion, or obligation. And I think that we can definitely see this in the beginnings of relationships. When you first start dating someone, you kind of pull out all the stops. You want to show them all the amazing things. Like you want to put your best foot forward. I don't think that we are trying to manipulate or to lie to each other, but that is what we're supposed to do, right? Best foot forward. You're high on your initial attraction to each other. So doing those things is very easy. However, as relationships go on, things happen. You could get an injury. You could get a really stressful job or things pick up. You have a kid, right? All of these things stop you from doing those initial actions that you had in the beginning um, because it's not as easy to give as freely. But at the end of the day, love is a choice and you choose whether or not to show in your actions that you love this person. 
Yeah. So when he goes into the parts of the book where you're trying to figure out your partner's love language and you're trying to understand them better, never should you feel like you are doing these things because it would make the other person happy. It should be out of your own desire to do something for them. Not because you have to, not because you guys have kids together and you want to make the relationship work. It should be because of your own choice. And one thing that I really appreciated from the book was the lists at the end of every chapter of each of the five languages. He has a list of suggestions of either exercises or of actions that another person may appreciate. And throughout reading the stories, it's interesting to see the different ways that people have requested their partners to love them. Let's dive into the five love languages. I'm going to describe a little bit about what each language is, any misconceptions that people may have about it, and then some options. I have I've read this book so many times that I feel like I have a lot of ways that I've come up that work for me, and it may inspire you to take some of these actions and incorporate it into your romantic relationship or your other relationships. So the first one is words of affirmation. This is one that I'm incredibly uncomfortable with because growing up, didn't hear I love you, I'm proud of you, love was shown in other ways. So words of affirmation is when receiving verbal compliments, kind words, and affirmations from their loved ones make them feel loved. They hear, I love you when you say those things. And so some of the nuance around words of affirmation is that you don't necessarily have to do it in the same way for every person. Everyone receives it a little bit differently. Some people might appreciate words of affirmation around their work or projects that they've done, things that they feel like they have earned. Words of affirmation mean so much more to me when they are about things that I feel like I've actually accomplished. So things like, hey, you're so knowledgeable when you talk about the books that you read about. You are great at cooking. Or even something as simple as like, that's a cool shirt that you made, right? Simple things. However, saying like, you're hot, you're sexy, that's nice, but it doesn't hit home as much for me. And it's really important that when you're talking to your partner, if their love language is words of affirmation, to figure out the nuance in that. Um, one of the other things that Dr. Chapman brings up is that words of affirmation doesn't necessarily have to come directly from you. You could do it in a card, in a letter. Uh, it could also be you complimenting your partner to their mom and then their mom tells them and your words are then amplified, finding ways for them to then be able to hear those words of appreciation can be a way to amplify words of affirmation. Uh, in terms of some suggestions on how you could affirm your partner verbally, uh, I like writing cards and one practice that I've kind of fallen out of is writing private messages to friends, partners, and family uh, on their birthdays. Rather than posting something on social media, I like to write a pretty long message or sometimes a voice note, depending on if I feel like typing in the moment. That is something that I 
enjoy doing as well because I get to reflect on our relationship. In my romantic relationship, we do something that's called a monthly review. (laughs) So at the end of the month, we will review the highlights of what we've done together, our own personal highlights. And usually this is a time that we also complement each other. Um, so building something that like that into your relationship is a great way to both check in and to verbally affirm each other. And my partner and I are very good at thanking each other for small things like, thank you for closing the curtain. Oh, thank you for getting me a glass of water. It's something that is, uh, that I have become very comfortable with. It definitely makes our relationship, like we're, we're expressing gratitude. It's something that I appreciate in our relationship. Even something like organizing beers on Friday and he will say, no, it was something that I wanted to do anyways, but I push back and say, no, I really appreciate that you took the initiative to do that. I needed social time to enjoy myself. So I like to expand on my words of affirmation rather than just something short, unless it's like water. Like, what am I going to say? Thanks for the water. It's going to hydrate me. And I thank you for your concern of my hydration. (laughs) Probably unnecessary. Um, Yeah, so that is words of affirmation. Not too many misconceptions there, I think. Next, we have quality time. This is one that I personally really love, um, but I have some trouble with. So some of the nuance that I wanted to bring up was uh, about active listening. I think active listening is something that we've heard a lot about. It's about making eye contact, body language, giving them your full attention. But if you aren't confirming that you have actually heard something, like it's very easy to go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, okay, cool. That could definitely mean that someone's actively listening. It could also mean they are not listening. (laughs) So if you can verbally reflect what you've heard them say and even if it's just as simple as saying like, oh, I see that you're very distraught or I see that you're very upset by this um, or you're very excited about something. As long as you are reflecting and showing them you are actually retaining some of what they've said, I think goes a long way. And especially for guys, if any guys are listening, trying to solve the problem, I'm sure you've noticed, doesn't really work. Just let them vent for a little bit before they ask you for advice. And this also goes into something that I've had to deal with, which is addiction to screens. I have tried many different ways of reducing my attachment to my phone. Um, I'm sure like many of you guys, I will listen to a podcast while playing chess on my phone and having a TV show in the background, right? This is something that I I think is such a new problem that we haven't necessarily found the balance that we need. So some exercises that I've done to try to lower my screen dependency, um, this happened by accident. I have broken a lot of phones and I get kind of lazy where I don't want to replace them immediately. So I've gone like a week in between phones. This has happened multiple times where I just don't have a phone. So if you want to reach me, 
sorry, <laughs> you're going to have to wait until I'm in front of a computer. Um, obviously, I'm lucky enough that my work allows me to do that. But that really helps because I am forced. I no longer have an option. What am I going to do? Whip out my laptop every time I want to scroll. So that's one way of going cold turkey. Other ways that I've done this is again, due to my clumsiness, I forget my phone <laughs> sometimes. So I will go out doing an errand or I will go out to meet a friend and I just won't have my phone with me. I will never know what time it is, but on the plus side, I am not scrolling. Um, once I started doing those things, it got a little bit easier. So now it's more of a choice. I will consciously not bring my phone out of my purse when I'm out to dinner with friends or if I'm out on a date with my partner. Yeah, so I definitely would suggest working on that so that you can have that quality time with your partner. Um, some other things that I've done is my partner and I love doing hypotheticals. So we ask, I ask really stupid questions and we discuss the answer. So one of the most recent ones that we had was, hey, if I murdered someone, would you report me to the police? And we got into a huge debate about it because we had opposing sides. Um, but yeah, keeping it interesting, getting creative, making sure that play is in our quality time makes it more interesting. One of the things I wanted to share from my own relationship that I really enjoy is movie months. Most people would think watching a movie, that's not quality time because you're not talking to each other. You're not listening to each other, you're just staring at a screen. We've turned it into quality time in two ways. First is the planning. When we are doing the planning, first off, he loves movies, so he gets to share something with me, uh, share movies that he loves. Um, but during the planning phase, we will have a lot of conversation. We will pull up movies that fit the theme. Uh, for example, our most recent movie month is Europe. Uh, we are going to Europe, so we want to hype ourselves up for the trip. So we want to watch a bunch of movies that show how great Europe is. We pull up lists of movies that were filmed in Europe and we talk through them. We talk about which movies we think would be good. We look it up on Rotten Tomatoes together. And then after that, we will have a list of maybe like 10 movies and we will try to arrange them. We start off with something that's like really exciting and we try to split the sad movies away from each other and... We want to have the movies that have subtitles a little bit further apart so that we're not reading consistently. We want more war movies in different places. So all of that becomes quality time. We are talking to each other. We're listening. We're trying to understand each other's needs. Uh, and then at the end of the month, we will also do like a mini Oscars. We'll talk about who each one of us liked the most for best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, favorite scene, most quotable movies. So all of these things are ways that we get to kind of share and enjoy something as simple, something as passive as movie watching. So another way that we have quality time is spreadsheets. Spreadsheets, how can that be quality time? I was thinking about how to categorize this one because I like to plan out trips in spreadsheets, have like the dates, have links to uh, locations of food or whatever it is. I want to have it all in one spreadsheet. And there's no love language of spreadsheets. So I had to think about deeper why I liked having that and why I 
so appreciate my partner um, also having this love of spreadsheets. To me, the spreadsheet means that they have taken the time to consider what we would both enjoy and planned for it. And this means that we can spend quality time together when we are there rather than researching and looking things up last minute. We can pull up the spreadsheet and be like, okay, let's get to the good stuff. That's why I've put spreadsheets under quality time. Okay, that's it for quality time. Let's go on to gifts. So gifts, I think, gets a bad rap. People think that people who choose gifts are shallow. They just want stuff. They're gold diggers. They're looking for a sugar mama, whatever it is. Gifts is not about expensive stuff. You know how you made that mug for your mom for Mother's Day when you were in like second grade and it's like the handle's fallen off, but your mom still keeps it? That is gifts, right? It's something that is sentimental to the person. It could be something that's handmade. It could be a rock. I remember an English teacher of mine and I believe my sister also had her and this is where the story comes from. One day in the middle of their class, her husband walks in and interrupts the entire class and hands her a rock and says something like, I went on a walk and I saw this rock and it reminded me of you and I just had to have you have it. <laughs> and like as a teenager, we rolled our eyes and we're like, what the heck is wrong with old people? Like, what is wrong with these weirdos? Now as an adult, I look back on that moment. It's like, oh, that's so sweet. That obviously this is a way for him to show love and whether or not it be her love language, she really appreciated it. She had, she like put it on her desk, like made a little special spot for it. Really cute. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you want stuff. Um, One way that I personally like receiving gifts is I don't like stuff because I am a, I'm a traveler. I'm always thinking like, can I fit this in my two bags? If it can't, probably don't need it. So I really enjoy experiences or food going out and having a a meal that is special to me is a gift. Um, So it doesn't have to be conventional and you don't have to spend money on it. Something like a card or writing a letter that can both be seen as words of affirmation, but it could also be a gift. And one of the things that I picked up on this time around that I completely forgot about was the gift of presence. So how he explains the gift of presence is if you have, I don't know, a dance recital and your partner is there, that's presence. If you are giving birth and you want your partner there all day, that is the gift of presence. You're not necessarily, it's not, It's not necessarily quality time because you're not listening to each other. You're not talking to each other, but having you there means something, right? So showing up in the time that you need it. So that was a really interesting point that I completely forgotten about and maybe a way that your partner receives gifts. Other things that I have enjoyed or I've asked my friends and family to do for me is The gift of podcast lists. I have a hard time finding podcasts. Making a list for me that if you think that I'll enjoy these podcasts and you make a list for me, that means a lot. It's like making, it's like burning a CD for your friends, right? So playlists as well for music. (laughs) Sharing memes, I think would fall under gifts. Okay, so next one is acts of service and 
couldn't really think of things outside of house chores for this. I don't think that there are many misconceptions. One interesting thing that he brought up in the chapter was about nagging. So if your partner is nagging you to do something, if you can change your perspective and think of it as a tag for a sign of love. So if your partner is nagging you about the dishes, it is them pointing out to you, hey, I would feel loved if you did the dishes. Perspective change. So we like to divvy up responsibilities because I don't mind doing laundry. I like organizing. I love putting socks in a row and making sure that they're color coded. (laughs) Uh, And for him, he doesn't mind going out to get the delivery. So divvying things up and then appreciating each other for doing those things instead of taking it for granted. Physical touch. This is the one that I see on every man's dating Uh, profile. And there's a bit of misconception around this. So Dr. Chapman argues that men like sex. (laughs) That's not the end of his argument. Uh, Basically, men like sex, but it doesn't necessarily fill their emotional needs. So if you like having sex, but you don't necessarily want to hold hands or your partner brushing your hair or Um, giving you a big hug, if those things don't necessarily fill your emotional needs, then that may not be your language of love. Uh, Instead, it could be something like words of affirmation. Maybe you feel really good if they say nice things to you. That's actually your primary language. And maybe physical touch is then your secondary or tertiary love language. Physical touch, even if you do enjoy it, it may come in different flavors. For example, um, PDA is something that I'm comfortable with, but other people may not be. A really good friend of mine says that a kiss on the forehead is the most intimate place that you can be kissed. So for her, a kiss on the forehead means a lot. We argued back and forth on that one, but yeah, everyone has their own preferences. That's the five languages of love, a little bit of nuance in there and some examples. Um, Now I want to get into the things that I didn't like about the book. As I was reading through it this time, I was really looking out for things that I appreciated and things that I didn't like. The things that I'm bringing up are common criticisms that I've read about the book. First off, he is a counselor, I believe in church. So every couple in the book is a man, a woman, and they are married. There is not a lot of representation there. And even for people who are not 5, 10, 15 years into their marriage, they are also not represented. I I do think that there is a lot of room for other people to take these concepts and expand on them. Some of the other things that I didn't appreciate was the, there was a really icky part where this woman was saying that she'd been in a relationship for 20 years, her husband no longer tries and puts her down active. And his suggestion to her was to do a six month experiment where she would express love and and be a better wife. I'm doing that in quotations and see what happens. Maybe it's because I've only been in relationships that are shorter than 20 years, But I don't agree that you should stay for that long. I'm split. On one hand, I understand where that's coming from. I understand that you want to give it your all. If you are wanting this relationship to work out, you want to 
try everything in the bag. And if that means loving them unconditionally for six months and seeing if they reciprocate, great. On the other hand, I think that it might feel like pressure for people to stay, even though it's not a healthy relationship anymore. And in this specific case, the man's primary love language was physical touch. And she brought up the fact of, I don't feel emotionally fulfilled. I don't want to have sex with someone who I don't want to have sex with, right? Because if you're emotionally unfulfilled, you probably don't want to be intimate with that person. And Dr. Chapman encourages her to to be open to the idea and to love him the way that he needs to be loved. I personally would never feel comfortable giving that advice if it's being kind to someone with your words and to pat their back or give them a high five. I think those are things that for me personally, my boundaries, I would be okay with, but I would not be open to engaging in sex if I don't feel 100% comfortable with it. If I'm not excited to do it, I would not want to. So yeah, that was one of the icky parts that existed in this book. So another thing that I raised my eyebrow at was his stance on polyamory. Basically, he's saying that in a day and age where we are very open and free, even if we don't have moral qualms with having an open marriage, there are emotional grounds on which people would not be comfortable with. And I think that's true for many people, myself included. Monogamy is the way to go. But for other people, polyamory may be something that in a healthy way could work out for them. So I think that is a point where he's quite biased. He is Christian who is a church counselor for relationships and on marriage. So yeah. So this episode was a lot on already being in a relationship. If you're not in a relationship, how can you apply this to your dating life? I think the first thing that you can do is practice getting comfortable with love languages that you're uncomfortable with, whether that be with your friends or your family Um, finding ways to show that appreciation is going to help you later on in your, if you get into a relationship. And then for the actual dating process, it's really healthy to talk about these things very early on. And if you can learn the language and learn how to articulate yourself, you'll have much more open communication and you'll also be more tuned in with what you want. Start with your friends, start with your family. If you see a Tinder profile where they say that physical touch is the thing that they um, enjoy the most, talk about that. Talk about what that actually means to the person. Um, And it could be a really great way of jumping off and discovering what the other person values um, and seeing if that connects with your own. One of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading through was, is it important for you and your partner to have similar love languages So that, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit easier because you both express and receive love in the same way. I imagine that there is a level of ease that comes with having a similar love language. Um, This comes from my own personal experience where I have really liked people who enjoy quality time because it takes two to do those things. 
and it's effortless when you both speak the same language. Does that mean if you don't speak the same language, it won't work out? No. I think it's about communication and learning from each other. And also, as I was going through the list this time, I realized I could, I see this as a long-term relationship where I may not have seen the same for previous relationships that I'm in. And I think part of the reason why I'm so secure and so, so sure of that fact is because we express our love in all five languages. Um, sure, we appreciate certain ones more than others, but I think at the end of the day, we are very good at expressing in all five. So in terms of who I would recommend this book to, I would recommend this book to someone who wants to articulate themselves better or understand their partner better. I would not recommend this book to someone who is trying to save a relationship that is unhealthy, where your partner is not giving the same amount of effort. This kind of goes against what Dr. Chapman says, where if you pour love into someone else's cup, eventually it will reciprocate. I know how taxing that is, and I don't think it's fair to put that emotional burden on one party. Obviously, if you if there are other circumstances where you really feel like making this relationship work will benefit you in the long run, go for it. Yeah, it, it's not always on you. Sometimes it's about compatibility. Sometimes it's about effort. If you've made it to the end, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the sound of my voice. It really helped me out if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, but the most important thing you can do is keep listening. If you have thoughts or tips you'd like to share, please do at selfhelpjunkiepod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. See you guys next time.